I want to speak to you tonight about when something goes viral. I realize that at a, a time like this to, to speak about something going viral sounds like anything but a good thing. COVID is, is kind of all over. It's, it's almost inescapable, isn't it? And uh, unavoidable. We turn on our news stations and there it is. Something has gone viral. And it doesn't sound like a good thing for me to, to start a message like that. But generally, going viral, as young people might know, is more closely associated with being a huge success. This is the, the, the great aim of, of media advertisements and uh, many individuals alike. It's, uh, it's something where somebody might post a video on social media and that will be liked and shared and passed around and uh, um, um, before long, it has circulated rapidly through so many networks of people that it has been seen by millions. And it's really with that kind of viral nature that I'm speaking about when we turn to uh, John chapter 1 and consider together a case in which the gospel begins to go viral. I want us to pay attention this evening to the first few social networks as the good news is shared from John the Baptist to his two disciples who in turn go on to carry it to others. This is the virus, this is the healthy virus that we see spreading far and wide. But before we look at the gospel extending, uh, I want us to firstly consider the context in which these verses are found. It, It really won't come as much of a shock for you to learn this evening that the writer of this fourth gospel is a man named John. And uh, he, now an old man in Ephesus, he puts pen to paper to record the life and the ministry of the man who he had come to know and love as his personal saviour. And he doesn't write some kind of fiction novel. He doesn't write some dramatic, loosely based narrative. But John here in this passage writes as an eyewitness. He writes as an eyewitness. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, he writes these famous words, These things are written that you may believe, and by believing may have life in his name. And John is writing these words in John chapter 1 for that very purpose, that you might believe. Some of you tonight do believe. Some of you perhaps feel like you're on the fence. Some of you will hold your hands up and say that you don't. But John is writing these things so that you might be convinced that that Jesus really is the Christ and that you might know for certain that that he is your saviour. John has already in the opening verses of this chapter detailed the fact that, that this man Jesus was the word who was with God in the beginning, and then having met uh, John the Baptist, who, who's, who has kind of made it explicit that he is merely the one who prepares the way for the true king. Then as we move into verses 35 to 42, we are being brought to see what it is to be a true disciple, what it means to be a true disciple. The writer of this gospel, as I say, wants us to know through the events that he had no doubt witnessed with his own eyes, how we can become followers of Jesus Christ, how we can become disciples. That's the the focus of this passage. In just seven short verses, we, we meet the very first disciples. 
I don't know if you knew that the, the word disciple comes from the Latin and it means uh, two things. It means learner and follower. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's the pattern that we see displayed here in John chapter one. It's a passage that, that sets before us the lives of various men who came to learn and then to follow after Jesus Christ as their saviour. And so we've got a great model for us this evening for, for discipleship and for missionaries and uh, for all who, who call themselves Christians. This is how we must live. But I want us to break the passage down into three simple stages. Sometimes I alliterate my headings and I try and be really clever. Tonight I'm going really simple, okay? Firstly, in verses 35 to 36, they listened. They listened. In order to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must first of all listen to the message that is declared. And that message here in uh, verses 35 to 36 is really a repeat of what has already been spoken of in verse 29. John the Baptist, the, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, has, has raised his voice and he's pointed away from himself, announcing, Behold the Lamb of God. That is John the Baptist's message. Here he is, or as some versions put it, Look, the Lamb. It's a simple sermon. Uh, the command is, is straightforward and the goal is clear. John the Baptist turns to the two men who had perhaps been, been following him for, for quite some time and with total humility he's acknowledging to them that he is not the saviour of the world. And neither is there in him any kind of possessive, proud spirit He's not saying to them, look, you men are my disciples. No, the point and the goal of John's ministry was never to build an empire for himself. It was never to gain a platform and a large following of adoring fans. He didn't want to pack out stadiums, but rather his aim was, as it should be for all who are in positions of authority within the church, to call the attention of everyone who was part of his congregation to behold the Lamb. And if you don't remember anything from the message this evening, remember those three words, behold the Lamb. That is my only message, really, that I want you to see the, the superiority and, and the preeminence of, of Jesus Christ above all things. He is who we must look to. You remember how in Luke's Gospel, and chapter 1 verse 17, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and, and really much to their surprise announced to them that they were expecting and that they would have a baby in their old age and he will, as it says, go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And sure enough, uh, John has grown from a boy to a man and he has fulfilled that promise he is truly a, a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and wherever Jesus goes in society, you can just imagine John's eyes following him round. He's obsessed with Christ. He's fixated on Jesus. He's quick to stress the fact that he, he's not the destination, but he is merely the signpost pointing away to the destination. You know, there's always a temptation when you are given a position of authority, uh, 
to abuse it. It's why Uncle Ben said to Spider-Man, he didn't say to Spider-Man, he said to Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. And I like that phrase because it applies to, to Christian discipleship. With great power comes great responsibility. There are many who abuse their power, many who, who use their, their position to, to gain popularity and to build large followings and to view it as a, as a stepping stone to fame and recognition and fortune. And yet there's, there's none of that in John, is there? He's not fixated on himself, but he's just one man with one message. Behold the Lamb of God. Follow him. But then what does it mean? To, to follow Jesus as the Lamb of God. What does that phrase lamb mean? Uh, it's a, perhaps a little bit confusing to, to some of us. I, I remember it being particularly confusing to me when I first heard it, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And what that really means is that he came into the world for the purpose of removing sin, not by sweeping it under the carpet, but by taking it upon himself as the, the full and final sacrifice if you know your old testament you'll know that the act of of sacrificing animals uh, was not an act of animal abuse but an act of obedience Uh, the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness but you might be asking yourself in light of that why a lamb why did this innocent spotless animal what did he do to deserve death and if you're asking that question you've really got it because that's the whole point Since the lamb did nothing wrong, they died in the place of the one performing the sacrifice, acting as a substitute to bring forgiveness of sin. And and yet these animal sacrifices and this strange language that we see throughout the Old Testament was really just a shadow. It was a shadow of the, the ultimate sacrifice that was coming, of Jesus Christ who went to the cross as the, the lamb to the, to the slaughter in the place of sinners. I think as a 21st century audience living in the UK, no longer under the old covenant, no longer worshipping according to Jewish ceremonies, uh, the name that is given to describe the Lord Jesus, it, it doesn't quite, quite carry the weights that it would have done for the people back then. And particularly for these two disciples, In verses 35 to 36, think what a moment it must have been for them uh, as the penny drops and they finally realize who their teacher is telling them about. This is, this is the one who, who fulfills the, the ancient types and shadows. This is the one who was foretold in the books of Moses and throughout the prophecies, the wait is finally over and the lamb is here. That was a, that was a revelation to them. And you can, you can just imagine the scene, can't you? As these two men trace John's finger as it points to Jesus Christ and they, and they see him there with their very own eyes, the one who was long foretold, the one who they had been expecting for all those many, many years. I wonder what you might do if you saw Jesus, what you might be expecting, this strapping hero. Is that what Jesus looked like? Well, no. Isaiah 53 prophesies and predicts accurately that he had no form or majesty, that we should desire him, no beauty, that we should look at him. And, and yet rather than, than kind of turning their nose up at, 
uh, this man Jesus, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes would go on to do throughout his ministry. Instead, they listen. But they don't just listen. And it's no good for you and me this evening just to be listeners. But they did something about it. And that's what I want us to see secondly in verses 37 to 39. They followed. It is one thing for them to hear. It's a very different thing to respond. How many times in our Bibles do we read of the need to not be hearers of the word only, but we've got to be doers also, it's there in James chapter 1, verse 22. It's there in Romans 2.13. It's the reason Jesus told the parable of the, the wise and the foolish builder in Luke chapter 6. six. But, uh, you know, that, that's really the message, that, that we're not to be just listeners, but we've got to be doers as well. I don't know the backgrounds of all of you. It's been really great to reconnect with old faces, some of you. But uh, I don't know your story, many of you, don't know where you've come from, don't know what kind of lives you've lived, but I'm sure that for most of you, the, the gospel is, is, is news that you know. It's, it's something that you've heard, some, some of you, more times than you can count. You've, you've been brought up perhaps in a Christian family, and even before you were born, people were praying for you. Maybe you're well acquainted with the calls and the commands of Scripture. Maybe you say, oh, I know what this guy is going on about. I've heard it all before. But the question still stands this evening. Have you responded? Have you responded? Have you, have you come to Jesus as a sinner and come to him as the Savior? It's not enough for us to just hear Jesus preached from a pulpit or hear Jesus preached on a, on a youth camp. It's not sufficient enough for us to read of him in books and to know about him theoretically there's no good in having all the knowledge in all the world about theology and yet to remain unresponsive and inactive and yet John's disciples they don't make that mistake do they verse 37 without a moment's hesitation when the two disciples heard him say this they followed Jesus They do as Jesus will later go on to instruct them, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow after him. This is a really simple passage. It's not complex, is it? And uh, John has a simple message. Behold the Lamb of God. And immediately their response, they follow Jesus. I wonder if you feel, uh, if, if you were in John's shoes, a little bit disappointed at this point in time. Bear in mind that these men have been following John for for quite some time and now they're gone and his ministry is vanishing and and the name of John the Baptist is nothing but the name of Jesus is everything. You might feel a little bit disappointed, a little bit disheartened perhaps. Is that how John feels? Not at all. I just envisage him with a big smile on his face because this is what he as as a preacher of the gospel desires above all things. As I mentioned, he is the signpost, Christ is the destination. And for the Christian, for you who are believers this evening, that's what we desire, isn't it? Above all things, that we see sinners coming to Jesus Christ for salvation. 
There's nothing that brings us more joy than to see uh, those who, who used to walk according to the course of the world, as the Bible says, now following the God of heaven. That's what we want. That's, that's the aim of mission. That's the goal of mission. That through a, a local church, disciples might be made. And so having begun to follow, verse 38 tells us this amazing phrase, that Jesus turns around. Uh, And here we have his first public words that are recorded in this gospel. The very first words of his ministry in the form of a question. What do you seek? Wonder how you might respond to that this evening. As young people with your lives ahead of you, how do you, how do you answer such a question? What, what are you seeking? What's your priority in life? What's, what's your focal point? What, what do you want to achieve? What's on your bucket list? What do you seek? Many people in the world today would take a, a question like this and imagine going up into the town and asking them. They'd, they'd give you some puzzled looks, wouldn't they? What are you talking about? What do you mean, what do I seek? I'm going to grab a bite to eat or a coffee. Or... But if we were really to probe, really to dig down to say, what are people seeking in the 21st century? We'd get a, a whole bunch of answers, wouldn't we? Some would say, I'm, I'm looking for, for a relationship. I want to be married. I want to have kids. Some people say, I'm, I'm looking for, for good health and happiness. That's, that's what I want above all things. I, 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 want to, I want to be happy. The pursuit of happiness is there in the American Constitution. Everybody has the right for the pursuit of happiness. And that's what people are seeking these days, aren't they? And in one sense, there's, there's nothing wrong with searching for happiness. And if you want to be happy, that's a good thing. But the question is, where are you looking for your happiness? You see, as, as one old theologian said, Augustine, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. In other words... The only answer that will satisfy our longing hearts is found in the God who made us and sustains us. There is no way to be happy, or the biblical word is more like joyful, unless we're resting in God. And yet take a look at these responses that we see here of these men. It's a, it's a strange reply, isn't it? In fact, they, they kind of seem like they've just totally dodged the question by answering with a question of their own here at the end of verse 38. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I was looking to the commentaries. What on earth does that mean? Why did they respond in such a way? And uh, didn't get very far. The commentators seem totally conflicted as to, to why they would say such a thing. Some say they're, they're just trying to take the pressure off themselves. It was too searching. And they don't want to give an honest personal answer. But I think more likely... It was that in asking for Christ's address, they're they're looking for an invitation so that they can be invited back to his home so that they can sit down and talk it over. Rather than standing in the open air, they're they're thinking, "Let's, let's sit and let's discuss this together. And yet, whatever the reason, Jesus shows such patience towards them, doesn't he? And he shows such patience towards people like you and me this evening in our own lives. In the times that we mess up, he's a patient God with us. But look how he replies here. He replies with a command that is attached to a promise. And it's right there at the top of the screen. Come 
and you will see. Come and see. Notice the, the tenderness with which Jesus has responded. He, this is a gentle exhortation. He, he's not speaking like some uh, stern, strict army officer uh, commanding the, the, the soldiers to just get in line and follow the leader. But rather he, he speaks with such warm warmth towards them and he, he invites them to, to come to him. All the way through the Bible, we encounter this wonderful gospel word from the beginning of Genesis right through to the end of Revelation. We, we find this invitation, come. It's one of the greatest words, I think, in the whole of the Bible. And, and so it is here, and from the lips of Jesus Christ himself, come. You could say on one level, he's just offering an obvious response to their question. Well, come and, and you'll see where I'm staying. But I'm convinced it goes deeper than that and that Jesus is essentially saying if you if you come to me you will see spiritually. You won't be given necessarily, necessarily physical vision but you will be given spiritual vision. And you know guys tonight you and me we have that same call upon us. In the 21st century so much has changed since Christ ascended into heaven but the same invitation is is offered to you this evening and if you're not a Christian if you're not one of Christ's followers I want to invite you to to come and you will see that Jesus truly is better he's better than the world he's better than than anything that this 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 world can give and offer he's the greatest and that's what these men saw and that's what we need to do we need to we need to leave the world behind. We need to turn our back on, on our old ways. And we need to come if we're to truly be a disciple. And if you're a Christian already and you think, well, this isn't for me then. We've got to come and we've got to keep on coming day after day. Can I just say that you never outgrow your need for the gospel. You never get too big and too clever. You never graduate. We're all works in progress. From the youngest, sorry ma'am right through to the oldest we all need the gospel don't we and and the, and the gospel is is not just news that we give out but the gospel is something that we need to take in and to understand we need to come and we need to keep on coming and that's exactly what takes place in the second half of verse 39 what an unforgettable day this must have been I wonder what the the best time in your life was a time that you look back to with such happiness and joy. I think this must have been the, the happiest day of John's life. What a time well spent. Wouldn't you just love to know what kind of conversations were, were taking place in the home that night as the Lord Jesus sat before them and they sat at the feet of the teacher of all teachers and they came to understand that, that all of those prophecies were pointing forwards, not to a point in time, but to him, the, the, the one who was actually teaching them. Amazing opportunity. John even records for us the, the time of day that this meeting took place. It's why many believe that John was one of those two first disciples because the level of detail that is given here seems to suggest that this was a day that he never forgot. He could still remember some 70 years later beyond that time, at the very end of his life, the exact moments that he was introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every part of this passage bears the marks of an eyewitness account. 
And so finally, we follow the journey of these two disciples into verses 40 to 42. And this is where we've got to finish. And this is really what, what ties in more than, than all of it to the theme of mission. They witnessed. They witnessed. The men have, have listened to the announcements. Behold the Lamb. They have, they have followed the Saviour. They've come and they have seen Him. But then we're, we're given this glimpse into the, the effects of that meeting with Jesus Christ. Having followed Him, what do they go on to do next? They witness for Him. Here is the external evidence of this internal change. They were not content to keep the good news to themselves, but they were compelled to go out and to share it. And first of all, with their nearest and dearest. It's always strange to me that we find it hardest, I think, to witness to those that we're really close to. I personally don't find it too hard to stand on the streets and to hand out invitations to strangers. But I do find it hard to find the words to say to those that I love who are so needy and so lost. Maybe you, maybe that's just me. But that's not what they do. They go out and they share it with their nearest and dearest, having identified one of the disciples as Andrew. Now in verse 41, we see him rushing into his brother Simon and, and he has this news for him. We have found the Messiah, the, the, the long-awaited promised king. He's here and he's near. Can you just imagine the, the, the difference that there would be if we were like Andrew? If our churches were full of Andrews, no sooner had this man become a believer and a disciple than he is on his feet telling others about the discovery that he's made. And that's the picture of a true disciple. That's not nominal Christianity. Like I said earlier, the, the kind of people who wear the name tag of being a Christian but their lives set, tell a different story. No, this is the real deal, isn't it? No, Andrew has not casually wandered home and mentioned in passing to his brother, oh, you know, I met this pretty interesting teacher today. Maybe if you're interested, we can book you in and you can come and see him if you're not too busy. That's urgency there, isn't there? He, he, he's so persuaded that Simon needs nothing more than to meet Christ. Look at the urgency in verses 41 to 42. What a revelation. What, what good news. All those centuries of waiting, and now we found the Messiah. Can you feel Andrew almost exploding with enthusiasm as he passes on the message? And like one link in a chain, the gospel begins to go viral. It doesn't take long to share news today, does it? When we were pregnant with our first child, I said to my dad, I know you're excited, but please don't put it on your Facebook account. We want to tell our friends ourselves. And sure enough, an hour later, my wife's in the kitchen. What's he done? <laughs> He's posted our news, you know, and everybody was texting us and email. Oh, what's, you know, congratulations. You got a baby on the way. It spoiled the surprise. It's really quick, really easy and really quick to, to share big news today. But, but back then it was different. News spread by word of mouth and sometimes it would take days, weeks, months to, to receive news about something. Sometimes they had heralds who would go into the town square and lift up their voice and announce some big news. And yet here there's, there's this great 
viral nature to the way that he shares the gospel. He doesn't go to some news station and tell them to declare it to everybody else. But there in ancient Israel, he he goes one to one and he shares it with his brother. And I wonder, believers, does does verse 41 describe you? I'll be done in a minute. (laughs) Does it describe you? Are you you living like Andrew? Are you living like a disciple? Are you so taken up with the gospel that you, you just must share it? Is that how you feel? Much to our shame in our own generation, such Christians are in short supply. Young people feel embarrassed, by and large, to to lift up their voice and speak a word for Jesus. Perhaps some of you who are a little bit bit older and you've been a Christian for many, many years, when the gospel was new to us, we, we had this overwhelming sense of enthusiasm to reach out to the lost and you were zealous but but as you settle in and you've been a christian for a number of years and the years roll by that that flame kind of begins to flicker and the zeal the urgency for mission the desire to to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature kind of begins to shrink and the great commission becomes the great omission in our life and witness and yet that's not the case for this new disciple here in John chapter 1 this is a great model for you and for me look at the the verbs that are used to describe Andrew's response to the gospel first he found his brother second he told his brother and third he brought his brother now I understand that we don't have all the same character we're different there's diversity there uh, and, and that's a really good thing I'm really glad that I'm not looking out at a bunch of photocopy Christians everybody dressing the same and talking the same and looking the same and and having the same story I love that there's diversity amongst the body of Christ that's a biblical thing it's what Paul speaks about when he speaks about the church being made of of one body but with different members and yet the The basic task of every true disciple is that we witness. Someone said to me not too long ago that when you read the reviews of strangers, it means something. But when your friend recommends you something, it means more, doesn't it? The closer the relationship, the stronger the recommendation. And so it is here. That's what we're finding. This is a great challenge to you and to me. We all have a social network, whether you're online or not. And from my brief experience and from my talks with older, better Christians, I have found that that one of the most effective ways of of bringing people to Christ is one-to-one, is doing what Andrew does here with Simon he doesn't bring him along to a crowded church service he doesn't take him to a a youth camp but he shares the gospel with him individually one-to-one he personally bears witness to what he has seen before he brings and and we're not all extroverts this evening some of us feel like that's a little bit out of our comfort zone And yet we must not isolate ourselves away or excuse ourselves from from sharing the gospel. We have the cure for the worst disease of all. For a life that is not ruined by coronavirus but by sin. 
and we've got the cure for it. Are you telling people? You would, wouldn't you, if you knew how to defeat this, this virus that's running around the world and causing havoc. And yet lockdown has, has made it tricky, hasn't it? So we just sit on our hands and we wait for it to be over. And when the global pandemic is done, then we can go out and we can witness, right? No, not at all. We've got, we've got opportunities at our doorstep. It's not easy with all the various social restrictions and so on, but we, we do live at a time when evangelism is still possible. Mission is still possible. The question is, for those of you who claim to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you find, do you tell, and do you bring those that you love and those that are lost to come and see the Saviour Jesus Christ? Do you invite them like John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God. Is that, is that your message? Is that your purpose for living? Can you just imagine what a tragedy it would have been if, if Andrew had been too shy, too embarrassed to speak up like so many of you and me are today? If that was the case, then Simon, who goes on in verse 42 to meet Jesus and be renamed Peter, the rock on which Christ would build his church, he would have lived and died a fisherman. And so what a wake-up call to you and me this evening. Guys, we, we just don't know the extent to which the Spirit may use our weak words. We might not see ourselves as great debate experts knowing all the answers, able to defend the faith to the nth degree. We might not all have seminary graduations and, and we may not all feel like we're, we're great evangelists at all. And yet we do have a personal testimony that no one can take from us. And we do have a simple invitation that has not yet expired And we do have the affirmation of Scripture that God doesn't choose the mighty, but He chooses the weak. He chooses the foolish to shame the strong. Notice that that Simon, he wasn't persuaded by powerful, powerful rhetorical reasoning, but by personal testimony. And he too believes. He, He is added to the band of disciples. He becomes a true follower a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not a dramatic conversion story really, is it? I remember for a while feeling a bit like my testimony was a bit rubbish. Born in a Christian family, heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, here I am. It's not exciting, it's not a John Newton testimony, it's not It's not my dad's testimony, converted from a totally pagan lifestyle. Might not be your testimony. But I love that this is in the Bible, this this simple conversion narrative, because through this, the gospel truly does begin to go viral. And so for believers, just in closing, do you see yourself not only to be a disciple, but also an evangelist? This, This glorious gospel, this glorious salvation that has given you an eternal hope, Will you not find and tell and bring others to experience it too? I've been sharing my my plans for mission. But mission is not for a select few. Mission is for every true believer. 
It might not take you 7,000 plus miles to the other side of the globe. But it starts on your doorstep. It begins in your schools and your universities. It begins in your places of work. It begins in the communities that, that God has sovereignly planted you in. I recommend that you get involved in your local church, that you try out Envision, if that's how you feel led, but that most of all you'd be faithful just where you are, just where God has planted you. And let me just add this for those of you who are unconverted this evening. For those of you who've heard the gospel this evening, and yet it just, you can't do it. You've, you've got so many needs. You've got so many things that you want to achieve, first of all. You've got many needs this evening. But the greatest need can be met in the person of Jesus Christ. You've got to, you've got to come to him as a sinner to a saviour. You've got to come and see him and listen to him and follow him and then witness for him. Will you look to the Lamb this evening? Will you come to Jesus Christ and will you see for yourself?